Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, I hope you're all well, and uh, thank you for joining me for another episode of Motherhood Exposed. Today, I'm speaking to the one and only Claire Bourne, the women's health physio on a mission to make information regarding all things pelvic floor and more accessible to all. Claire is such a lovely person, it was just a joy to chat to her. We also talk about Claire's own experience of motherhood and all the things she too has had to overcome. So good morning, Claire. It's so lovely to have you today. Um, How are you? Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing well, doing well. We're coming out of the harder times, I feel, so um, life feels a bit lighter. Yeah, it's getting there, isn't it? But um, as you were just saying to me before we pressed record, you're a little bit sleep deprived from bit lovely sleep children. Deprived, yes. <laughs> but yes, I, I'm I with you on that one today. I've been up very early. So, <laughs> so well, you're like, I, I saw a funny thing on Instagram, which was like, you know, you're a mum when 7.30 is a lion. And I was like, oh, you know what, how much I would give to sleep until 7 30 like I can't imagine it I literally this morning I was like I haven't done that for like four years unless it's like I've got up and then gone back to bed sort of thing with my husband's like taken over but yeah I can't imagine the day when they sleep until half a seven I think I'll be like are they alive are they alive (laughs) I think the only time we've ever done that is actually when we go back to the UK because I think all of our body clocks get completely like put up in the air and um yeah and we've suddenly woken up like, oh my god it's it's 7 30 like what's (laughs) happened to us because in this house we're like five o'clock people four o'clock people we're just up and at it so anyhow right so I like to start my podcast with the same question which is how you met your husband oh great question yeah well I've actually known him for a very long time we met when we were teenagers so we were at the same youth group and um I mean actually like he like our older siblings kind of knew each other and then we kind of knew each other so we were really good friends and I think as teenagers you know what it's like everyone sort of dates everyone and, and we like it was, we were a bit like the two where we're like really good friends and everyone's like will they date will they not date never happened I then like he was about I think he was about to ask me out as a teenager and then I went out with someone else for like oh, a week no. or whatever you do as a teenager and then Break he was like oh not. she clearly doesn't like me exactly <laughs> and then he went off he's a year older he went off to uni I went off to uni in different cities and we kind of like back then it was all about Skype right so we like yeah. Skyped a bit and I remember I became the friend that there was one point that he wasn't sure about this girl and so he like called me and was like you know I kind of like this other, this girl but maybe there's I, I don't maybe I like this other girl and I was like do you know what if you're not sure you probably don't like either of them yeah. like brilliant I won't date either of them I was like fab job done and then again we didn't really talk again and we sort of completely lost touch until I was 26 so probably about five years and he had gone back and he'd done two degrees went and did medicine as a second degree oh wow and then was working yeah with his dad in the city after he just literally done his medical finals he had a bit of time worked with his dad in the city and one day they were on the train home and he was stood there and was like wait that's Claire's dad and I mean he hadn't seen my dad for about seven eight years at this point so he went up and was like hey how are you nice yeah how's Claire and he was and my dad was like yeah she's fine she's living in London physio you know da-da. and that night he then like Facebooked me 
um, and was like, hey, I saw your dad. Want to meet up? <laughs> and I was like, okay, sure. How, how are you? Um, he's like, I'm back in London. So I was like, cool. So he came into my house for dinner and we have literally been together ever since. And that was oh. years ago now. So yeah, so really funny. But um, I guess probably meant to be. Yeah. Because we'd like kind of dated other people and it just nothing had like worked. And I had been single for about a year and I think he'd been single for about a year. And we were a bit like at a stage with like, you're towards the late 20s where you're like, I don't really know what I want now. I'm sort of. Well, I think when you've, when you've had that experience as though, you, you, you kind of do know what you don't want. Um, that's so when, true actually when you meet somebody who doesn't have those don't want qualities then you're like, oh, hold <laughs> you're on. Then like you're, you're great yeah, yeah. Well, this is good I think it's- as well we had so much common ground and like we knew each other's families you know and we really liked each other's families so it kind of was like a very easy transition into uh sort of I guess dating again was it was so, it a uh, slow burner or did you see him and think oh hold on a minute oh it was literally like sparks like it was like <gasps> it was just like you know like sort of soulmate kind of stuff where you were literally like I can't believe we've not been together forever kind of thing or we haven't been we have I can't believe we lost touch like it was literally like we were sort of teenagers again and because we were really close as teenagers and now I look back I'm like for a girl and a boy to be that good friends it's kind of like a I think kind of unusual that's it and I think as teenagers you just you still don't really know what is a friend do I fancy a friend are they my friend you know you're, you're in that whole kind of time of life where you don't really know what that means and I think you know, we probably should have just been together since we were teenagers, but um, we're both delighted that we weren't because actually we both had amazing yeah. early 20s. We'd travelled loads. We'd both done our studying in different places, made loads of great mates. And actually it just made sense when we did come back together. So, um, yeah, wonderful. And then, yeah, we've got been married five years, two kids. So Lovely. Woo. Such a nice story. So tell me about your two kids. Yeah, so two, I've got a little girl who's four, and little boy who is, yeah, uh, 16 months. So um, we basically fell pregnant straight into, we've just got married. So our, t- our journey to parenthood is actually quite interesting. So in my early 20s to when we met, really, again, <laughs> met again, <laughs> yeah. um, I had had no periods for like four or five years. Oh, really? So I was diagnosed with something called hypothalamic amenorrhea. So my periods started normally. I'd had them normally. And then in my sort of, yeah, early 20s, they just, it became very erratic and then disappeared um and I'd had a quite a stressful time again another relationship had been quite difficult mm-hmm. work had been very stressful and I think just a multiple thing we lost a family member and things like that and so what happens with the brain it sort of basically is like you can't cope with being pregnant right now so I'm going to stop your period so it's very clever so it's clever. a very protective thing yeah. but my body just never kicked back in and so I'd been on like HRT that menopausal women would be put on. I'd been on multiple different pills, but for various reasons, like I can't really take estrogen because I get like oral migraines. And so that's kind of a, a reason you shouldn't take them. I was very progesterone intolerant. So I'd get the worst like PMS being on progesterone yeah, stuff. Yeah. So it was a nightmare. Like the hormone doctors were like, I don't really know what to do with you yeah. because <laughs> you need meds and you can't be this estrogen deficient. I basically had no estrogen. When you did a blood test, it was like undetectable. Wow. And so as a young woman from, from a bone density point of view, yeah. that's really, mm-hmm. they're like, we have to give you something something but we're trying to work out how to do that so it was a really hard few years actually um and it was still all over the place they were like you know and I was like I really want to have children like is that just not going to happen they're like well if you're not having periods it's not easy right (laughs) but it's not impossible so they're like you know you have got good egg reserves so they're there we may just have to help you whether that be IUI stimulation IVF sort of thing So they were like, you know, however you want to do it. We were like, right, let's get married and then let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. 
And they were like, but maybe just don't delay. Don't leave it like three years and then think, all oh, right, we'll try and do something now. They're like, just maybe crack on and because it might take two years. Yeah. <laughs> we felt pregnant straight away. Wow. Even though I had blood tests that said I had no estrogen. And when I rang the hormone team, they're like, huh? How's that <laughs> happened? And I was like, I don't know. You said this wouldn't happen. Um, but obviously we were delighted because we'd really had this expectation of like, this is going to be a really hard road. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so she came along nine months later. And um, so we've really kind of not known marriage or anything without kids it's just been part of our kind of journey together so it's the uh, same same for me or us should I say not just me yeah <laughs> there's the husband my there. children my house <laughs> yeah my wedding do you what know what I keep stuff. doing I keep talking about my bedroom so it's become a bit of a joke in my house with um my bedroom my husband's there going sorry <laughs> where, do, where do I sleep <laughs> <laughs> and the, well the joke is that he sleeps in there and I end up in the spare room most nights after going to the baby's <laughs> And how was the pregnancy um, with your daughter? Um, you know, so the first bit, like, I was really nauseous. I've never experienced anything like that. Wow, the, that is just no fun. But, I mean, generally, as a pregnancy, very uncomplicated, low risk. Um, mm-hmm. I had a little bit of pelvic girdle pain after I fell over at the gym. Classic, trying to keep active and fit. Fell over. Fell over. <laughs> Nudged my no. pelvis out. Um, but you know, generally I managed it, saw physio and it was all, it was all fine. Um, and then yeah, birth wise was, um, on the quick side for number one. So, um, again, in this nine months of being pregnant and just got married, we bought a house, gutted and redid it. You're um, classic, aren't you? Yeah. I know. All the things I was like, don't, don't have children yeah. get married and buy a house all in the same year. And we were like, yeah, no, we'll just do it in nine months. Don't worry. <laughs> uh, just stressful. Um, and we both started new jobs as well oh. anyway, that's by the by we got that's, through it it's like all of the the major life events literally yeah oh. I was like why do I feel so stressed yeah. <laughs> like, yes <laughs> this may be why um and now we're doing it again we're buying a different house and we're in a pandemic we've actually both started like I've run my, I've started my own business when <laughs> started new jobs and now we've got two children well the best so. thing is you didn't learn so okay. this is the thing and maybe I was like well we survived so we'll probably survive yeah. this time <laughs> possibly yeah <laughs> possibly yeah <laughs> ask me again in two months um but yeah, so it kind of went into labor. We'd just moved in. We'd been in for three weeks. She didn't even have a nursery. And I was like, oh, I'll go late. It's number one. She came in like 39 weeks. So yeah. it was actually obviously a tiny bit early. Um, yeah, I went into labor naturally, stayed at home, transferred into hospital six centimeters, went to 10 wow. centimeters in an hour. Gosh. But then I freaked out because I, I'm the nature of my job. I, I sort of, as a pelvic health physio, support a lot of women who have quite a lot of complications postpartum. Mm-hmm. And um in my head I just felt every as everything stretched I just was like I remember getting to the middle I was like I'm ripping in half I'm ripping oh, in half <laughs> and she was like I oh, know sorry it was a man he was like you're really not like this is just a feeling everything's stretching he was like you need to calm down but I just couldn't like I think it was just such a fear that I had yeah and then my contractions stopped because basically I flooded with adrenaline and obviously that what happens then is your body's like, I'm not safe anymore. Mm-hmm. Contractions stopped. So then I had a very long second stage. So pushing phase, it took about two hours for her to actually be delivered. Okay. Um, but I mean, you know, not on paper, not traumatic, um, but definitely elements of it that were not easy. Yeah, sometimes when <laughs> too much knowledge is, is not a good thing, I guess. Honestly, perhaps. not a good thing. And I'd, and I'd really struggled in pregnancy more. As I was talking to someone about this this week from a, like a maternal mental health perspective, like, mm-hmm motherhood generally I have not found hugely impacting of my mental health except doing it in a pandemic with two small children was hard and sleep deprived (laughs) I'd say my biggest struggle was in my first pregnancy 
where I had really bad anxiety and mm-hmm. like I didn't really identify it as anxiety but I was having like nightmares about birth quite recurrent nightmares about yeah. birth where I sort of wake up and I was convinced I'd had this shocking birth and it wasn't true and so actually I sought help from a mental health midwife at the hospital and, and yeah. she put me in touch with a kind of consultant midwife which was amazing and I, we really unpicked it I did some hypnobirthing and stuff I like that I feel like I need to get um Tess to sponsor this uh, podcast or something because she was mentioned uh, on this week's podcast and I've had Tessa <laughs> and I used to work with Tessa so Tessa oh, and I are friends you? yeah we're friends what, Chelsea Westminster yes yeah. Oh, yeah I used to work at Chelsea Westminster oh did you I didn't yeah, know that's that. how I met Tessa. Oh, so, so I actually we started. used to do that job that Tessa does. Um, there no. was a, my best friend did it, then I did it, and then Tessa did it. So, um, yeah. That is amazing. I didn't put them two. So, yeah, so Tessa and I started, I think, like the same week. So, we, so Tessa oh, was did at you? uni. Yeah, oh, really? Tessa was at uni with one this of my so school boring friends. to everyone else in the world. I know. <laughs> Just a minute. Us is really exciting. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah. And then, so the, our friends, uh, my friend had put us in touch and was like, oh, you're starting. And I was, oh. I was, and I started in pelvic health at Chelsea Westminster. So she was like a brand new midwife. I was this brand new physio in pelvic health. And I remember just being like, we don't know what we're doing. Yeah, so I've like, been, I started there in like 2012. No, 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 no. I was, no, 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 I was no, the nine. seven on the... Um, on the Postnate Award for a while for like a oh my gosh we year. must have met her that's so weird that's so I used to work a lot with like the Euro um Sasha the Eurogyne nurse yeah yeah Sasha <laughs> sorry guys this is so boring, <laughs> so boring. Oh, like a mother's I didn't realize I know you'd met Tess but I didn't realize you um but yeah there we yeah, go so, right well, sorry well we've we got to focus we'll talk about that later thanks everybody <laughs> <laughs> thanks for humoring us yeah um so you saw Tessa, who was awesome. You saw and, Tessa, um, yeah, who was amazing. Good. So, and I didn't even know that mental health midwives actually existed. Like it just wasn't, even though I worked in the field, like and without, you know, she'd just got that job, I think at that point. I remember going to her and she was like, come into my office. And I remember being like, I want to know the stats. I want to know how many third and fourth degree tears are in this hospital. I want to know the instrumental deliveries. Oh, and she was no. like, yeah. so and she was like, okay, well, let's sit down. Let's have a look at the stats. And actually, it really helped me to know the stats because she was like, Claire, the thing is, you're seeing like three to four percent of women, basically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is what you're seeing. There is this whole other like 90 odd percent of women who are not having those stories. But in your head, that's 100 percent because that's all that you see. Yeah. So she's like, what we need to do is just immerse you in some of these other stories and, and actually, you know, chat to some more midwives who are seeing those stories. Because yeah. um, all you're seeing are the kind of very challenging elements. And that was really, really powerful. Um and it hasn't meant that I have been without my own challenges since delivering. And I've been quite open on social media. Like I was diagnosed with a prolapse after yep. my first. And that was like my worst case scenario. It was yeah. like anything but a prolapse. I just don't but want it one. It is, you know, you're a pelvic health physio. So obviously you're going to get a prolapse. <laughs> I mean, this is what <laughs> happens, doesn't it? Like, just comes with job description. Just end up with horrible births a lot of the time. Thing. I know. Um, it's so tricky. With your prolapse, um, do you think it came from the two hours of pushing I think in hindsight that was probably the the kind of straw that broke the camel's back I think in reflection obviously having been on HRT hormone replacement therapy have actually been very estrogen deficient which Mm. can cause quite bad I'd had quite bad IBS I think being very hormonally fluctuating yeah and had quite bad constipation at different bouts of that and so I think in hindsight I'd never really looked after my pelvic health, um, you know, as much as I kind of knew the knowledge. <laughs> but as in, like, I think as a young 20-year-old, and this is, I think, what's so true, like, as a young 20-year-old, again, I think what my training was was all very birth-related. Right. And actually, we're only now shifting really into this awareness of actually 
it's not like any of my seniors sat me down and been like, you need to think about this now before you give birth. It was still very much focused on kind of like birth and into menopause. It wasn't mm-hmm. very much like actually as women, this is something that we should. I mean, this is like 12, 13 years ago now. And yeah. really the language and stuff is, has really more changed in recent times. Um, I mean, I did pelvic floor exercises and stuff like that. But I think back then my knowledge was actually so much less obviously than it is now. I was still mm-hmm. very junior. Mm-hmm. I didn't really do the gyne side of things. I just did very much did the wards and things like that. So supporting mums with very kind of on the basic side or, or kind of musculoskeletal pain. Mm-hmm. And so I think now my understanding obviously of the bowels and relation to everything. So I think I probably just had an, I think I was young. I was just a bit, you know, you're invincible at that age, aren't you? You're like, I'm Absolutely. fine. Absolutely. <laughs> so I think it was a combo of that. And then the long second stage. And what I've now understood in hindsight, having looked back through my notes, which I just thought it was my fault, but actually she had a very short cord and she was just bobbing up and down right. for a very long time. So even though actually I think I did on paper, I did everything right. I was upright. I had the active labor. Everything was natural. You was just spending a long whatever. time sort of headbutting your pelvic floor then. Basically. Yeah. yeah. And, and exactly. And stretching. And, and, and I think the other struggle was that I had a very unusual tear. So it wasn't including my muscles, but... people probably don't want to know this but basically some of the skin sort of was pulled outwards and so they didn't really know how to rip I remember the midwife being like I'm gonna be honest with you I don't actually I've never seen this before um and and they stitched it even though it was skin they stitched it onto muscle and I remember my muscle feeling really restricted and basically I think in hindsight if it had been repaired differently it might have helped because I actually had to get the stitches cut out because the pain was so bad from where my muscle was just being completely restricted so I had some like nerve damage and some restriction of the muscle and so I think my pelvic floor just was it it took much longer for it to recover mm-hmm. than say the second time where I didn't have any of that mm-hmm. so um so with yeah it's been your pro- with, sorry with your prolapse what how did you mm-hmm. kind of overcome that yeah so it's been a journey it's been a journey so um I suspected I was like "Mm, something doesn't feel right and you know you hear this like heaviness dragging sensation I was like maybe that is what this is like we I've described it for so many years now Mm. but maybe this is what I'm feeling so I went into the hospital I kind of knew the urogyne team and was like can someone check me um so they were like yeah there is but you know you're really early days you're sort of only seven weeks let's see how things recover so you know loads of pelvic floor work ultimately like managing my bowels making sure I wasn't getting constipated Um, but I really lost my confidence in that first year like I really felt fearful of movement you know because I think again there's loads more stuff coming out now where we're like actually why are we restricting women but the language back then I mean it's only four years ago but it was still very much this like protect don't don't lift anything too heavy and all that sort of stuff I just didn't know how to exercise. I was like, I love exercise. I used to love running. I don't really know how to do that. And so really that first year, I just kind of like got on and just hoped for the best that it was going to get better. In the second, like, so once she was one, I then started with a personal trainer who was really focused on kind of pelvic floor rehab and that helped me get really strong. And I became symptom free in that second year. And so my prolapse hadn't disappeared. It improved, but I, I just didn't have symptoms, which is, is it's really what we work on with women to be like, mm-hmm. let's get you symptom free. Um, and then I fell pregnant again and and that was a big obviously a big thing because I was like oh goodness like what if this makes it worse like all the what ifs Mm -hmm. do I go for cesarean do I have a vaginal delivery like Mm -hmm. what am I gonna do but I knew in my heart of hearts like I'd had a good birth really like hadn't been difficult in many Mm -hmm. many ways I know I can do this I've just got to do whatever I can so I think I was much more on it in my pregnancy I kept more active I really worked on my pelvic floor strength um and in the end, I opted for a home birth because for me, transition- yeah, I did, though. I was like, it was funny because I was like, no, I'm not a home birther. And my husband, <laughs> who is a doctor, right, was like, yep. 
think we should do I think we should do a home birth and I was like are you quite unusual like, for a doctor to say that as well if I right, may really unusual controversial it's really interesting really quite, I know I was like have you lost the plot you're a doctor <laughs> um and especially love my first delivery it was really funny because I'd lost loads of blood and I remember like I there was blood everywhere and he was like I, at the time I was like is there a lot of blood and he was like there's blood and in his head he was like why does no one care there is this much blood he's like everyone is so calm and he, he was an A&E doctor at that point and he was like in A&E if there was this much blood everywhere we would be like someone do something get an ECG get a blood test and here everyone's like it's all fine it's all fine everyone's so calm I mean I'm sure inside everyone was like oh my gosh but everyone was very calm and he was like trying to stay calm but also slightly freaking out um and so yeah he, I was like goodness knowing all of that why do you want to be at home and he said because he said having watched me labored labor sorry he was like I think he would have delivered her at home having like reflected on it because it was so rapid and he's like I think you were transitioning almost when you were at home and then we had to shove you in a car get you into hospital and he's like if that's when things slowed down you obviously didn't feel that safe and you kind of, of like freaked the- out new space bright lights new people you've got to, they're yeah, asking you loads of questions examinations exactly all exactly. of the completely disturb labor and exactly so he was like, I think if we did that at home I think it would be like almost over and done with in a matter of hours over and done with if you know yeah. what I mean he's <laughs> just like I don't really night, isn't he <laughs> yeah I was like you just want to stay in bed yeah <laughs> um so we and sadly at the time where we we live they weren't doing it on the NHS the team has sort of disbanded and stuff I mean they said you could it just depends on the day and the week but I was like I just want to know so we we went for some um, independent midwives um who were just amazing and actually I think that's what I need I needed someone who knew me the whole way through and and really walked that journey with yeah. me so all my fears and all my neurotic <laughs> tendencies with having you know being a pelvic health physio um they were there for every moment and interesting with him I actually went over so I was like 41 plus weeks oh, interesting. Um, which was I was like really not expecting having gone so uh, I mean early it's all yeah. within the birthing window but you know before 40 weeks that whole like due date thing um and yeah like so I'd, I'd had sort of early contractions for about a week and every night I told the midwives like I think it's tonight and then nothing happens I just stopped <laughs> telling them I was like I can't be bothered this is so boring everything stops overnight and then this night I had them and then then I was like mm, I woke up at like sort of two I was like maybe they are more regularly more regular went back to bed and then I woke up an hour later, like, mm, no, actually, this is getting more intense. So I timed them. They were already three and ten. And I was like, oh, huh, maybe I should. They was like, call the midwives. Because <laughs> they were like, we think you're going to be quick. So I called the midwives and my parents were like, come. Um, and when my daughter wakes up, then you can take her. Well, they arrived at like three and he was here by half five. Oh, and when they arrived, I was like hanging up washing and they were like, why have you called us? Like, <laughs> are you? And then they were like, you know, I'm sure once everyone settles, things, and literally it was like my parents were upstairs in bed. Um, you, you know, everything was calm and it just went from zero to a thousand. Wow. Um, so much so that they were like, get the pool ready, get the pool ready. And then it was too hot. They were like, get the hot water out. Get the hot water <laughs> um, so they said really when they accounted it as like active labor to delivery was actually an hour. Um the most intense hour of my life but was ama- it was an amazing experience and it was just in our living room and then I was on the sofa and then the next thing I know everything was back as normal wow. and it was like we had a baby so That's incredible oh and it was lovely and I, t- I would do that again I'm not sure we will but that experience was really wonderful um and really empowering like I I, I imagine how when midwives see birth they're like 
and this is what we love like you know <laughs> the women really birthing themselves really yeah exactly empowered. I mean when we and, don't have to stay completely hands off and um, yeah just there as a supporter that's that's what yeah it's it was just wonderful because I remember saying to my husband oh the midwives are amazing he's like Claire, they didn't actually do anything really they <laughs> did, they just monitored you 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 did it and I was like oh yeah I did it <laughs> you're so looking to everyone else aren't you to be like oh you delivered my baby and they, and they were both like no, no you delivered your baby yeah. we were just there to make sure that everyone was safe and I was like oh yeah and I'd never really seen birth like that and I think in the, in modern medicine we don't really we see like we go in and they help us deliver actually mm-hmm. was with, you know actually I love it in that sort of yeah I don't know it was just really amazing amazing you burst your baby is what you did yes and I how was the prolapse after the second the second time? Yeah. So I was obviously like, oh, is it going to be lots worse? So I was definitely more symptomatic for a while, but I expected that because everything had been stretched. Like the support network <laughs> had been stretched and the scaffolding wasn't quite what it needed to be. Yeah. Um, but the recovery has been a lot quicker. So right. I became sim- symptom free much quicker. So, I mean, but I've noticed that has continued to improve within that and actually almost when I hit one year, there was also another sort of big improvement. So for the first time in like five years, I'm actually now thinking about getting back to running because Yay. I'm really, yeah, it's amazing. I'm really excited. And I, I've definitely noticed like, and this is what a lot of women have within their cycle, they might find that there's sometimes and they feel a bit more symptomatic. So mm-hmm. sometimes around ovul- just after ovulation and then just before the period. So I think I'm becoming very more aware of my symptoms and I'm just not afraid of them anymore. Like, I think I used to just be like, oh my gosh, everything's got worse again. But what I describe it as is like the prolapse roller coaster of like, you just learn to kind of like, the lows are just not as low as they used to be. So you might feel like I'm a bit more symptomatic today, but you just know it's not going to last forever. Yeah. So you kind of just like ride it easier. So then even if I have a more, you know, a bit of a week where I'm like, "Mm, I think I'm feeling it a bit more. I'm just like, well, that's fine because next week will be a different week. And so I've just learned to sort of live with it. Um, and that's definitely changed, I think, since he's turned one. And maybe I just don't have any time to think about it. Do you think um, having that experience for yourself has helped you um, as a public health physio with your clients? 100%. 100%. I think, and you know, don't get me wrong, you don't have to have lived it to be yeah. a good physio, 100%. But I think just the empathy level of meeting someone where they're at and the fear that they like, I just think unless you live that fear of your insides falling out and and being a 30 year old woman and feeling like you're 80 because Mm. of this diagnosis, like that experience is just bonding. And I do get a lot of women since I've shared on social media, come to me and be like, I've come to you because I just know that you'll understand. And actually, I know you've lived it. And actually, I just wanted to ask you some questions as well. Um, and obviously for me, like every, I will always say that this is my story. This is my professional advice. This is my story. But obviously there is an interlink. Um, but and obviously what's worked for me won't necessarily work for someone else. But um, yeah, I think. I think also it's made me more confidence in my practice as well, because actually I know that when we get women more active, that helps their mental health, which actually helps yeah. their physical symptoms. The benefit of being, you know, is also interrelated. And I think having lived that now, I just feel more confident. I'm like, I know you're not going to cause yourself damage if mm. we do this the right way. Mm. Um, but and sadly, we just can't support all the women that need it in the way that we need to at the minute. And that does break my heart a bit, to be honest with you. No, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you about exercise because um, you just mentioned running yeah. then. And um, I'm yeah. a bit of an exercise freak myself. And I know from um, speaking to um, physios over here that your guidance, I think, tends to be a little bit different to perhaps what 
um, perhaps a, a midwife might say, or the, the classic wait six weeks, see your GP, or six to eight weeks for vaginal deliveries, eight to 12 weeks for cesarean deliveries. So mm. for you, what's your advice for somebody getting back to exercise um, after having a baby? Yeah, so great question. I mean, this is the thing, really, it has to be individual, because we are all so different. Mm -hmm. So the six week window or six to eight, when you potentially see your GP is, um, it's it's put in because of, as you will know very well, the natural healing window that we have. So say if you've had a tear, or you've had a cesarean, most soft tissues will heal within the six to eight window. Now that might be delayed if we've had infections or things like that. And we also know that studies have shown with cesarean recovery that actually scars are still remodeling after that point. Now, that doesn't mean they're at a point where they would open again, but there's still kind of changes going on within the tissue. So they're sort of making new tissue. Mm -hmm. So but the hard thing is, is that actually someone who's had an elective cesarean um, can sometimes at six weeks when you assess them. You're like your pelvic floor's great, <laughs> you know, your scars healed really well. Actually, getting you going, doing a little bit more. That doesn't mean you're going to be running at six weeks, but just getting back to a bit more. Actually, they might find that easier than someone who's had a forceps lyrial episiotomy and an infection and things yeah. like that. So this is where the whole six to eight for a vaginal delivery and you know, nine to twelve, say for a cesarean, we have to question it because we're like, actually, in practice, we know that sometimes it's the other way around. Mm -hmm. So I think this is our message, really, is that it needs to be individual. The struggle that we obviously have in the UK is that, yes, the, 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 the sort of emphasis is put on this check with your GP. And I never want to be GP. My husband is now a GP. So I'm fully aware of the, you know, the, 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 the landscape that they work in, the 10 minutes that they have with a woman. And, you know, they ultimately have an awful lot of things to cover. Physical recovery is one of those things. And most GPs have minimal um, obstetric gynae That's training. So they may, have yeah, seen, yeah. they may have done a kind of three, four month window on, on it, but they will have done probably some bit on the postnatal ward and then some for gynecology. But they've not done this postnatal kind of like real landscape, really going from birth up to kind of what is gynecology. Mm -hmm. So unless you work, say, in a perineal clinic, a lot of this, these things you won't have seen. And, and, and the struggle is the fitness industry put in their, you know, in their legal element, you know, their sign off. Oh, you've got to have seen a GP. So the woman's yeah. like, oh, right, I've got to see the GP. The GP's like, I can't provide you what you need. And yet who meets that need? <laughs> well, essentially physios do. But unfortunately, on the NHS, not every single woman can see a physio at the minute. So, you know, the party line is, yes, you need to wait six to eight weeks before you return to kind of more formal exercise. That also doesn't mean that we don't do anything for six weeks. So, I mean, I'm a fan of walking, but I'm not like the fan of like 20,000 steps just because that's the only thing you can do. And actually, I truly believe that if we empowered women to just understand a little bit more about, you know, maybe we just do some body weight squats from maybe a month or so if you're feeling good, rather than going and doing 20,000 steps, we're probably going to be actually putting a lot less pressure through your system and almost like expectation on the pelvic floor yeah. to hold everything for a prolonged amount of time while you're pushing a buggy actually do, but the problem is we kind of like label squats or body weight movement as like exercise and so a walking sort of not and you hear these things of like you can never walk too much but I kind of disagree because actually some women especially if they have say prolapse symptoms like walking for me was a really bad trigger whereas I could kind of squat all day mm. and I was fine or even just something so as simple as hemorrhoids um and right exactly is, yeah. 
really like basically any time you're you know standing up for a long yeah. period of time gravity is a play and so I think this is the message it's like saying to women that there are no blanket rules what we need to teach you is we need to teach you to be in tune with your system so just because you've been told you can walk that doesn't mean that means an unlimited amount of walking it means learning to like with a lot of training like you do a bit okay I'm doing all right we do a bit more rather than what sometimes happens is women like oh they do nothing for a month because they've been told <laughs> don't do anything and then they get frustrated because like, I just want to do something then they hit that 20,000 steps and then they're like oh I'm really sore or I now have symptoms and, and I've had some friends who've actually then developed prolapse from basically just doing too much at yeah. six weeks because they kind of had this six week I've just got to wait six weeks and then I can like go and the system has changed and I think the struggle is it's like we need it to be an empowering message, not one that's actually going to hold women back or make them afraid. And I think this is the struggle. So it's always a struggle of trying to give women information that the things they can do, but doing that on a general basis is hard. But I often just like to say, look, there's deep breathing you can do. There are some basic core exercises, which I've actually shared on social media that see how you feel within that first six weeks, try them and see how you feel from six weeks you just build up a ladder you know maybe you go on a longer walk maybe you do a bit of swimming maybe you do a bit of cycling okay that feels good you do some body weight then you might introduce a bit of weight and then we gradually introduce impact so jumping running I don't think I've met any single woman who is ready and I don't work with athletes okay so (laughs) I've worked with some athletes but it's not like my day-to-day they're in a different camp okay but most women, the average woman is not ready to be jumping around at six weeks postpartum, um, regardless of how you've delivered. Your body needs some time to recover. And this mm. is everything. So, mm. yeah. So that's kind of where we sit at the minute that there is. And this is I've always struggled to answer the question, really, because yeah. it's grey. It's yeah. completely grey. No, 100 um, percent. But I think I say to women is that actually don't fear the movement, but you've really got to get in tune. You've got to be, uh, you've got to be physically driven rather than mentally driven, Yeah, you know? And I think that's and a real challenge for women, isn't it? Because movement absolutely. is so important for mental health as well. Yes. Um, and that we, you know, whatever happens, there's still pressure on women to get back to, get back to bounce back, all of those buzzwords that yeah, I absolutely that. hate, but, um, you know, or yeah. people just want to get, um, to find, you know, lose the weight and, and, and feel more yes. like themselves, et cetera. So that's 100%. a really good point that it's got to be it's not got to come from the head um no and I think the amazing thing now there are so many more postnatal design programs that are out there that are designed to do that journey with you yes um and they're not super expensive you know they're not trying to break your bank or take you for a ride it's very much like it's just finding the right thing and I think the awareness of postnatal trainers and all that sort of stuff is is gradually increasing a lot which is really exciting and um but the message is still not fully out there because I know friends are like, well, if someone had just told me not to do that, then I wouldn't have done. Mm. Um, and I don't, I, I'd love to see your thoughts on that. I don't quite know how we do that because I think antenatally, we're not in the headspace to be like almost ready to hear everything that we need to hear. Well, no, I think even antenatally, you, you, yeah, you can't even, you don't, when you do any any talk antenatally, people don't listen, women don't really hear beyond the birth um, and they get home like, oh, I don't remember any of what I was told about actually walking through the house, through, through my front door with a baby in my arms. And you almost like thing. you have to completely recap and, and do all of that again. So thinking exactly. about exercise or pelvic health physio, et cetera, um, or pelvic health in general. Um, yeah. yeah, there needs to be a space, I guess, post postnatally. But I mean, I don't work obviously in the UK anymore, but where that would fit into the system. Um, And I also think the struggle is, even with a six to eight week check with a GP, um, 
being able to flag anything at that point sometimes you've just not lived enough life postpartum to really know what you're saying most women haven't had sex by them and most of them haven't really been able to be that active and so everyone's like are you all right and you're like I think so but I haven't really done all the things I want to do and so I always say to women is I think there's then it's like but I've been checked by the GP but I'm like if at three four months postpartum you're now like well I've tried to return to this and I've tried to have sex and things are still not right just because you got checked back then doesn't mean that you can't go back and get checked again. Like no. at any point, flag it. Like it's not, that's not like a one, it, it, that is almost just like a mini assessment to the next season. Mm-hmm. Um, and But I think we see it as a cutoff, but I'm like, no, it's actually the starting point <laughs> of the next bit. And actually, you know, we have to see it like that. I'm almost like view it as naught to six weeks, view it as six to 12 weeks, view it as like 12 weeks to six months mm-hmm. and, and sort of take it as quarters and just see how you go in each of those seasons. And if at any point anything comes up, make the call. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, women come to me a year postpartum and they're like, I've just not had the headspace. And now I'm sort of mm-hmm. like ready to start thinking about something so there's no point where you're too late postpartum to ask for help absolutely Um, even if it's two years and you've not had sex for two years because things have been painful and you don't know what you're you know don't know what to do about it it's okay there is still always going to be help just reach out can I ask you about that because um obviously sex um after having a baby um commonly um is painful so how much of that is normal when should it start to not feel painful what can you do about it yes I always like to say that really sex should never be painful from uh, you know painful I think often postpartum it can be I'd say more tender a bit like oh that's not quite how it used to be might feel a bit stretchy especially if you've had some scar tissue or some stitches Mm -hmm. vaginally common things I think we don't often tell women is that if we're breastfeeding or if our periods haven't returned estrogen levels are lower vaginal tissues are drier now vaginal tissues being drier and new scar tissue say it's going to be uncomfortable so you can never really over lube in the postpartum period is my biggest tip. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would, I always say, look, if literally sex is impossible, like you cannot allow penetration. So I mean, obviously sex is a big term, penetrative sex. If you really can't allow penetrative sex because it is just agony, that in my opinion needs review. So sometimes when the wounds sort of overdo their healing, you get this granulation tissue, which looks bright red and is often very, very tender, feels quite raw. And it will sometimes when when they're walking, it will feel very raw and rubbing, depending on where it is as well. Um, but often you'll get this sense of like something's just not right down there. It should mm-hmm. not feel like this. I, but I'll be honest, trying to find help and people who know what that is can be quite difficult. But there is help for that. So if you're literally if it's impossible, don't just think oh, I'll have another glass of wine next time. Don't let anyone tell you that's going to be solution. <laughs> just go and get it checked because the chances are no one's actually had a look. If it's like a mm, bit stretchy, bit uncomfortable, but actually I was able to vaguely enjoy it in all the new framework that I'm in where I'm exhausted, I don't have a huge libido and I've got a baby who could wake up at any minute, mm-hmm. then give it a few times and often things may improve. What you can also do is sort of massage the scar yourself just gently. Uh, so like you would do before birth with perineal massage, yep. essentially just do a very similar technique just on any new scar tissue just to help it stretch desensitize it a bit um and again if that doesn't improve and it's again you're not want you're avoiding having sex because of it it's impacting your libido and it's impacting your relationship then you need to get help so those are kind of my two camps really but also know that after cesarean you can also have problems so I actually saw a lady just a matter of weeks ago who was two years postpartum had just sex was so painful and 
the struggle with once sex becomes painful, we then anticipate pain, pelvic floor tensions, mm. penetration becomes more difficult and we end up in this sort of vicious cycle. Then we don't want to, then our libido drops, then we yeah. don't get as turned on, then we're not as lubricated. Anyway, and it goes on and on and on. And then the relationship gets affected and I did that. This is the thing. So it's a real spiral. And so it's, it's trying to kind of cut that as soon as possible. But no, she was like, but I didn't vaginally birth a baby. So why is it painful down there? Why was it painful? I was like, well, it could have been that your vaginal tissues were drier to start with. But actually the scar of a cesarean where it is, is incredibly low down. What is going on abdominally can impact the pelvic floor. They are like a team. Mm-hmm. So actually for her, a lot of the, her pelvic floor is actually there were some things we needed to work on but a lot of it was being driven actually from the scar and higher up and she'd had sort of some infections on one side and everything had got very very tight on that side so I think it's just remembering as women that we are like 360 (laughs) and you know we it's not just the the vagina that is influencing sex it is like multiple other things from head to toe so um yeah so I guess those are my my big things but there is help and I think it can be so hard to reach out for um, so where, where, where can people go for help? So from the NHS perspective, you would always have to start with your GP. Yeah. Um, and I know that it can be really hard. What I always say is go and look uh, on your GP website for who's got experience in women's health. Like, so you do get these GPs who have a specialist interest. They're called gypsies. It's really funny. Um, <laughs> and specialist interests. And, and they will often say like specialist interest in women's health. Try and book in with them because they're going to probably have more training in this sort of area reach out if you're able to go privately or you have insurance you can go directly to a physio who basically will be able to assess see what's going on and if they need to onwardly refer you to someone else then we can do that so those are kind of I would say your two biggest avenues um because a lot of the time bit of pelvic floor work if there's some tissue there we need to sort of deal with we can get a gynecologist to sort that for you um so those are probably the two easiest routes okay and I just very quickly because I know we're short on time um I just want to ask you about um pelvic floor exercises um because Mm -hmm. I think um historically we all forget to do them and then when we do do them we probably do them wrong so in a nutshell can you give us um a a quick explanation of how to do a pelvic floor exercise correctly and how often we should be doing it and what styles we should be doing fab so we think from uh, from research the best cue for the majority is actually to think about holding wind so i think traditionally the cue has always been stop a wee Mm -hmm. but actually most of the muscles sit around your anus right so getting a good contraction from there will often get the best contraction so everyone can try now we've all done it you shouldn't be moving up and down you should just feel a tightening around your back passage and it it will also tighten around the vagina and let go so that's how you do it hold wind fully let go and then there's two different types. We call them like short and long. It's not about speed. The short ones, you're literally just going hold wind, fully let go. And you do 10 of those in a row. And then your longer ones, you're aiming to basically be able to do hold wind and keep the contraction switched on whilst you breathe. Really important. Hold for <laughs> 10 seconds. If you've never done it before, 10 seconds will feel like eternity. So mm. just start with a few seconds, let fully, fully let go. And then you'd repeat that 10 times. So if you're pregnant or early postpartum, we are saying that ideally you're doing 10 of each type three times a day as like a minimum. Pregnancy, reminder on your phone, there's a squeezy app that's also an option. Postpartum, try and do some with every feed of your baby because you'll then do it more regularly. A big part of we often miss is doing them in standing because actually most women don't have symptoms in lying and sitting. It's mm-hmm. often when you're standing up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um 
you know, in pregnancy, that can feel really hard because you're essentially like weightlifting your baby. But postpartum, that's what you want to be building up to. So again, alongside your return to exercise, you're wanting to do some some loads of standing pelvic floor exercises as well. So in many ways, it's simpler than I often we often think it is. It's simpler. And I think often we, especially someone like you who's really into fitness, you, you, you're kind of like, I want to give a thousand percent. And I see women who are like, and I'm like, do you know I'm what? Just... It's, it's something I've really noticed because I'm not working as a midwife at the moment. And I used to do them all the time because I used to talk about them all the time. Yes. And now I don't yes. talk about them every day. So I'm like, oh God, I've got to remember. <laughs> this is the thing. It's so it's hard. To, they are hard to remember. Um, but I think, yeah, almost like less is more. So don't feel like you've got to give maximum effort. Just some activation and let go is good. Um, and yeah, just, just trying to find what works for you again to remind them. And really as women, we should be doing them th- throughout the rest of our lives. Doesn't mean that we're going to be doing three times a day for the rest of our lives, mm-hmm. but pelvic health, like our cardiac health, like our bone health should be part, should be on our radar. It's something that we should be thinking about. And I would say like our menopausal selves will thank us yeah. if we've done the work now, because it's easier to build muscle mass and tone now than it is when we're in our sixties. Mm-hmm. So the quicker we kind of, and also habits isn't it it's easier to get into habits and keep them than it is to then restart something new once you're in your 60s and you're like oh now I really need to think about it so and if someone is um so obviously any type of incontinence stress incontinence um of any sort is not normal and and should be dealt with if somebody doesn't have any symptoms at all except when they're doing something like jumping on a trampoline um with their kids or, or just jumping on a trampoline by themselves, perhaps, I don't know. Yeah. Um, but that's when they feel their symptoms. I'm not talking personally at all here. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> what does that mean? No. Does that mean that you're just a little bit weaker or does it mean that something um, is going wrong? Uh, or yeah. does it just, just I mean, it, crack on? it's an indication that your pelvic floor is not strong enough to just deal with that one activity. So again, it's like we would examine in standing, we'd work out potentially if there was just a bit more regularity or endurance or you know we'd I probably need to bring in jumping and stress and challenge your pelvic floor to a certain level and then bring onto the trampoline and try again so Do yeah you have a trampoline I, I had, in your clinic room not in my clinic room oh you've <laughs> disappointed me that would be really fun <laughs> but no it's like I'd send you off try it again but we would do obviously a program to sort of get you there yeah but I, I have loads of months where trampolining is the only issue and we can get them to it it's just we sometimes just need to just work out how you're activating okay are we working are we optimizing everything that you're able to do with your body because pelvic floor is more like sometimes you'll be examined and be like oh but my pelvic floor is good like it can contract and let go yeah great that's just one element mm. is then like the endurance of it it's kind of reaction ability it's ability to be kind of flexible and respond and all that sort of stuff so training the pelvic floor is so much more than just squeeze and let go yeah. it's you know, and it's looking at the whole woman and how she's doing those movements and things like that. And sometimes just changing our breath control in those things mm. can actually make a difference to symptoms as well. So amazing. Thank yes, you. Totally readable. Right. Um, I'm, again, I know we're really short on time. So um, I normally ask three questions, but I have four questions for you um, at the end of the podcast. Oh, um, the first one is, um, I want to know if you have a poo stool. Oh, yes. 100%. <laughs> yeah. Squatty potty all the way. Mine's called a porter squatty. So they wow. basically you can fold it and put it to the side. So like when guests come, you haven't got to be like, welcome to my poo stool. Um, but yeah, love them. I, everyone needs one. Or just use your kid's stool. But we should totally be lifting our feet up to do a poo. So the idea is that your your knees knees are higher than your waist, is it? That's right. Poo? Yeah. Is, yeah. Yeah. Higher than your hips, definitely. Hips. And um, leaning forward. So like you're into a sort of squatting position. And that's to protect your pelvic floor whilst you're having a poo. 
So it helps to lengthen the pelvic floor. So it unkinks the bowels. So it makes it easier for the poo to come out so that you're not needing to strain. So think about okay. the poo, uh, sorry, the bowels like a 90 degree angle. Then it goes like a slide nice. for the poo to come awesome so yeah how does that work in like your interior design at home does it does it fit yeah it ruins it to be honest (laughs) with you but that's why I got the the foldable one so I can still pretend that I've totally got a glam house and then I just whip out (laughs) okay guys and everyone knows when when mummy's had a pee then (laughs) yeah but they're they're like this is great and I'm trying to get my kids as well into that's that's a whole other topic but um actually potties are a real issue for me because we then put kids onto a very 90 degree angle so Mm. when they're babies they squat generally to a poo and they're nappy and then we shove them on a 90 degree potty and I'm like we're not helping them so low potties or in you know raising their feet up so they learn from a young age to be in that position poo like a dream that's really interesting do you think because a lot of children have um issues around um opening their bowels on the potty um and they prefer to do it in the nappy and do you think that's why I think it doesn't help because I think babies are like instinct aren't they like they are basically what we should be like they can squat like a dream we lose those abilities basically through a lot of lifestyle stuff and I just yeah. think that I mean doing doing poos to them is, is multifactorial sometimes there's this element of control of something falling from your body and it, there's a lot of an emotional side as well yeah but I yeah. do think from a kind of physical point of view we, we don't we don't help them mm-hmm. by taking away their natural mechanism of doing a poo like yeah. I do think yeah, there's a lot of work to do there. Talking a lot with, um, not, not not necessarily on Instagram, sorry, I'm still, I told you I'd talk, I need to not talk, no, but um, about all the things that we've created, um, which cause such barriers just to be yeah. basic parents and, and you know, simple, just like with cots and nurseries and having prams, yeah. all of these things. Yeah. And, now, and now you've just brought up another one, which is a potty. Um, obviously there yeah. needs to be anyway that's a different story but so there's a lovely one which is like a travel potty I think it's called my travel potty and they're really low down and I found them be great for kids because they naturally just get their knees right up and yeah, and then it's um gets them in a natural position and I mean I've also I've only potty trained one child I've got another one to come but um, yeah. it was much easier than I imagined actually um and I think we had potties around from very early on we sort of talked about it a lot we had we try to keep it very, very natural and, and, and child led, I guess. Um, and it, I think it's taught me a lot about, but also I work with women who then like, when we track it back, actually a lot of their symptoms probably started in childhood. So interesting. And I just think we actually, as parents do have to, I mean, we have enough pressure as parents, right? Mm. <laughs> ah! But I think we're <laughs> like, totally responsible, yeah. but I think it's just small things that we can do just to facilitate them just do it naturally as naturally mm. as possible and actually I think sometimes it's just that we sometimes overcomplicate things or yeah. there's yeah no, it's interesting that's, that's, that's really cool. on the matter. so everyone needs to get a poo stool fabulous yeah so um very quickly if you were to have coffee with any other woman alive dead fictional and um, famous who would it be mm. and why do you know the person who came to mind was Michelle Obama I would just love to sit and have a, a chat with her like I love her outspokenness how she's so passionate about women's rights and representing women and uh, yeah so I love I'm currently reading her book and I would just oh, love so to good. it's so good it makes me laugh so yeah, much so yeah brilliant. I'd sit down with her I think we'd have I think a really I'm gonna have to try and get Michelle on the podcast <laughs> do I've had a very um, I think you're maybe the fourth lady who's um who said oh really yeah no yeah, get her on let's talk about pelvic awesome. floor and she talks a lot about infertility as well um so obviously that's a lot yeah. about what we cover here yeah um, cover. So, yeah no she's very cool um and since becoming a mum is there anything you found yourself saying that your mum used to say to you 
Yeah, I think I was thinking this and I can't think of anything like 100%, but I think a main thing of just almost everything, everything will be okay. Like, you know, when they're having complete meltdowns and just, just that reassurance. And I think I used to find that really annoying with my mom when she'd have, because you have life experience, don't you? Your mom knows that things probably will all work out. And I remember mm. she had, you know, even in my early twenties, I was like, I'm never going to find someone. It's going to my home. Yeah. Ever. And she's like, <laughs> it's going to be okay. Like we'll get you there. And I used to be really annoyed. I was like, you don't know that. Like, it's not true. <laughs> and I can see that almost in myself, becoming that reassuring voice. And they're like, no, mommy, I've lost my shoe. It's never going to be okay again. And you're like, no, it will be. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just that life experience yeah. and that reassurance. But yeah, I don't think there's any one sentence, but that sort of just approach. I can see myself. I'm like, oh, I'm the mum now. Yeah, I, can see I know. It. Isn't that terrifying? I often turn around yeah. looking for, oh, no, that's me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm now responsible for these children. Okay, yeah. me. Who's going to make, oh, it's me to make dinner. Okay, great. Awesome, again. And um, considering your job and your own experience as being a mum, is there one piece of advice or like mum hack, life hack that you could share? I would say like just trust your instincts. And I think that's so true of looking after your children because I generally believe in mum instinct. You're generally right. Mm. Um, But also your own body. Like so many women, I think what we do to them is they have this instinct about themselves, something not being right, whether that's, I say, I guess it in birth, pregnancy or beyond. And we're quite good as healthcare professionals sometimes to be like, no, 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 no. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. And actually then, and I think then we, like, then we actually encourage women to disengage and not listen to their body. Mm. So um, I'm always like, trust it. And if you are not happy and someone tells you it's fine and you still don't think it's right, go and ask someone else. Please just don't take one answer as a final. If in your, in your heart of hearts, you're not convinced that everything is fine. Um, and, and yeah, I guess, so I guess, trust your instincts in all aspects. Amazing. Um, Claire, I've absolutely loved, I could talk to you for days. Um, I've loads more questions, but um, <laughs> maybe we'll do a part two at some point. Um, but how can people find you? Yeah, so um, I mean, on social media, so I'm Claire Bourne Physio. My name's a bit tricky, so I'm Claire without an I. And then born as in like the born supremacy. That's how you spell it. Um, <laughs> Are you as cool as Matt Damon or? Definitely not. Yeah. Definitely no. not. Oh. Everyone's like, is your son called Jason? I was like, no. no. <laughs> and then I was like, I didn't get the joke for ages. And then I was like, oh, okay, I get it. Because I'm still relatively new to born. You know, I'm married into this name. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I guess through my website, so it's www.claire-born.com. And then you can email me directly through that. Fantastic. Um, thank you very, very much for speaking to me today and um, have a super day because it's super early still in the UK, isn't it? So yeah, just nine. Day, so. Take care. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I love speaking to Claire today, but we barely scratched the surface in the time we had. So make sure to give her a follow for evidence-based information and advice. A lot of that chat too was um, UK focused. So if you're in Dubai and have been affected by anything we discussed today, then I can't recommend more the team at Optimal Therapy, which with a GP referral should be covered by your insurance. Also, not sponsored, but just a fan and wanting to share a top tip. So if you are suffering any stress incontinence symptoms, the Modi Body underwear are amazing at catching any leaks while you're still recovering. Thanks as always for joining. Remember to like, rate and subscribe if you've enjoyed the show. See you next week.